Hello and welcome to Not If I Reboot You First, the podcast that takes our favorite properties and reboots them before Hollywood has the chance to. It's a little bit like brainstorming fanfiction. I'm Lindsay and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Tanner, they, them. This week, it's bats. It's bats. <laughs> the bats aren't- Fucking love time travel. <laughs> the bats aren't even that important other than like, well, we gotta explain the situation somehow. <laughs> Quick, fan cast the bats! <laughs> So, uh, everybody, we are adopting the alternate history series 1632, which is about a small town in West Virginia called Grantville that gets transported back in time to 1632, Germany, during the Thirty Years' War. And shenanigans ensue. Yes, and why is this happen? <laughs> well, the alien space bats in the far future decided to use time as an art medium, <laughs> and... Uh, they caused so much issues with the uh, timeline, basically destabling it, that another civilization decided they had to go. Okay. <laughs> that is the only explanation for the Ring of Fire. <laughs> it's so dumb, I love The side story novel Time Spike suggests that the space bats may have since started aiming shards at Earth just to see what happens. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and that's how you get things like Miraculous Ladybug. Anyways. <laughs> 1632. <laughs> Tell us about West Virginia. Well, Grantville is a small coal mine town. And this is back in 2000. So things are okay-ish. I mean, Oxy is probably a problem, but not quite the epidemic that it is now. The issues aren't great, but they haven't gotten worse yet. Yeah, so Mike Stern's sister is getting married. Mike Stern is one of the foremen at the mine, and also a union like leader there. Yes, union man! Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, it should be noted that Eric Flint is a big old socialist, so... Yes! <laughs> Finally! A type of time travel I can get behind. Socialist! <laughs> oh god. Uh, the... I try to avoid on althistory.net um, the post-1900 timeline stuff because it's all Nazis. Except except for the one where it's like, I, there's one timeline I know of on Alt History, and it's basically the premise is, what if I Love Lucy ran for two more years? <laughs> yeah, and save Star Trek. <laughs> they save Star Trek. They also cancel Laugh-In, which means Nixon never gets an elected. <laughs> Thank you, Lucy. Um, there's another good timeline that I do like where it's like, what if Jim Henson started working for Disney back in the 70s and helps gets it out of the Dark Ages earlier? Interesting. Yeah. I, yeah, I like the timelines that are about like the media landscape rather than yeah. political stuff, even if political stuff can snowball out of it. Yeah. Yeah. The fun political stuff is usually back in like the pre-1900 stuff. Um there's an interesting one I'm following about um, Princess Charlotte of Wales. She would have been a queen after George the Fourth, the Prince Regent, had she not died in childbirth. Very tragically, and it was apparently completely avoidable too. Oh no. Yeah, the doctors fucked up real bad. We are so far off topic, holy shit. 
<laughs> so anyway, Grantville, small town in West Virginia. There's a big wedding going on, and then all of a sudden, weird shit happens, and uh, they wind up in the middle of Germany in 1632, and oh boy, there's now mercenaries bearing down on the town. Because this is the Thirty Years' War. Everything is bad. <laughs> So, the Thirty Years' War, this is the TLDL version. So, the Thirty Years' War is kind of a culmination of, like, the Reformation and the Counter-Reformation. And everybody has just decided, like, fuck it, we're fighting now. Open warfare. <laughs> so, the uh, Elector Palatine, Frederick V, gets elected to become king of Bohemia. Bohemia, in this case, we're talking about like the modern-day Czechia, plus Slovakia, and a bit of south-west Poland. The Habsburgs are big mad about that, because on the one hand, Bohemia is like half-Protestant at this point. On the other hand, the Habsburgs are kind of the hereditary rulers, and it's a major voting block for the whole Holy Roman Emperor uh, dealio, even though it's basically a hereditary title at this point. Okay. <laughs> basically, it's now just like we're technically electing the monarch, but at the same time, it's basically it's not an official rule, but it's basically it's going to be a Habsburg monarch unless they all die. And at this point, they are getting really into the incest. <laughs> As opposed to, you know, only having a the casual interest in it beforehand. <laughs> Look, most dynasties stuck to, like, cousins, and they tried to go for second cousins. The Habsburgs were doing Uncle Niece. Oh. Uh, okay. You, yeah. They're royals. They're not real people. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the Habsburgs got big mad, booted out the Electra Palatine. And then everybody else is like, well, we're already fighting you anyway, so yeah, we're all going to fight you. <laughs> and like, technically, this is a war framed as Catholics versus Protestants, but the mostly Catholic French were on the side of the Protestants because they really didn't like the Habsburgs because there's this whole thing about who was supposed to inherit a whole bunch of lands that basically make up Belgium and the Netherlands. Okay, but what's more Catholic than get it angry at other Catholics? <laughs> <laughs> that is true. <laughs> so then enter the wild card that is sweden nobody saw the swedes coming <laughs> <laughs> even though they have gone into a dynastic fight between the protestant side of the family and the catholic side of the family who are ruling poland <laughs> i love a schism <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so grantville is in the middle of all this, literally in the middle of all this, and they're like, "Okay, what do we do? How do we how do we defend themselves?" They manage a bunch of hicks with shotguns and hunting rifles, and maybe a couple um a couple pieces of artillery. Nobody remembered to take back to the armory when they demobbed from the army back at during the Gulf War, <laughs> and might have bought secondhand <laughs> too. Oops. Like, yeah, this is America. <laughs> <laughs> just assume someone owns a uh, dubiously sourced uh, machine gun <laughs> yeah okay yeah so they managed to fend off this band of mercenaries who god knows who they're fighting for I think it's a catholic I think they're fighting for Wallenstein who's the, one of the catholic generals for the Habsburgs and then all of a sudden the Swedes show up 
along with their king, Gustav Adolphus. This is where the first Sabaton song comes in, because he's got the Lion of the North. It is a kick-your-face-in song. It is great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so Gustav Adolphus, who I have automatically cast Bill Skarsgård to play, because just look up a picture of this guy. He looks like a Skarsgård. Or he (laughs) should be played by Skarsgård. Yeah, fair. (laughs) Um... Yeah, kind of one of the biggest badasses of the era. And unfortunately, in our timeline, in real life, he dies at the Battle of Whitenham. Which means that his then six-year-old daughter, Christina, who is a very interesting character in her own right historically, becomes queen. And then, like, Sweden is a major power into the 1700s. And then, oh... Oh, Carlos Rex. Oh, Charles the Twelfth. Why'd you have to go and fight the Russians? <laughs> the Russians under Peter the Great. <laughs> the one who figured, oh, we just lure them in deep and deep and deep into into our territory, and then we kick their asses in Ukraine. Okay, that's the plan. So, yeah, Sweden had a pretty sweet empire for a while, and then, yeah, Charles kind of fucked it up. It didn't help that his brother-in-law was kind of a shithead anyway. <laughs> he used to party with his brother-in-law, Frederick, so much that a bear once jumped out of the window of the palace one time. <laughs> <laughs> I am not kidding. <laughs> Look up Jack Rackham's video on on Charles the <laughs> Twelfth. <laughs> anyway, so Granfield decides... Hey, okay, so we have all of this, like, more modern knowledge uh, from 2000, from the year 2000. They're from the year 2000. Because one of Eric Flint's points to make was, you know, we have enough accumulated knowledge by this point that, like, a high school library could be enough to, like, tip the scales in how things go during this time period. Now, one of the changes I'm making to the town is they also have a community college because the poor community college is so maligned by people. Yeah. 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 So yeah, why not have a community college? Because it also means that like one of, one of the things that community colleges do is they often act as trade schools. So all of a sudden you have a whole bunch of people who, yeah, they're not like high tech, high science people, but you have like electricians, uh, a lot of nursing stuff, just carpentry, mechanics, all this sort of stuff. Incredibly useful skills for this whole situation. And it could also give you some laboratory space because, oh god, are they gonna need to like start building up vaccines and antibiotics. Yeah. So fast. Because one of the things that happened during the Thirty Years' War was a big old outbreak of plague. One of the doctors in the series flats out flat out says like the thing that he is worried about is us getting pneumonic plague because it kills so quickly and it spreads through the air oh yeah 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 they're definitely going to be doing that they're definitely also going to basically create an entire um i guess hygiene market (laughs) yeah with all the soap they're gonna have to make (laughs) so much soap and then yeah, there's the politics of like, oh, we know stuff that is that happened in our timeline. Hey, how about we try to like not have some of this happen? Yeah, no. Let's make a a Germany where like the Nazis could never rise to power. 
Yeah. Yeah, let's just preempt a whole bunch of stuff. Maybe get some of the Industrial Revolution stuff out of the way so that, you know, now that whole Marxist idea of, like, how revolutions work, maybe we can, like, jumpstart this a bit? (laughs) (laughs) Create a couple democracies here? (laughs) The Hasbergs barely have a grip on their empire anyway. Nice. I mean, I think it was Voltaire who said, like, that the Holy Roman Empire was neither holy nor Roman nor much of an empire, so. We could do that! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> um, now, the thing with the series is that there's a couple of standout characters who get, like, time in the spotlight, and it, it has a massive cast. So I'm not really gonna go too much into detail, like, you got Mike Stearns, who's the local union leader. You got like the mayor, the the sheriff, all this um, doctors, nurses, people who got stuck in Grantville because they just so happened to have been there that night. Oh no! Yeah. So I was thinking like an original character could be like I've been thinking of this idea for a very long time, and I'm like, why don't we have a journalist who gets stuck there? Like she he or she they were going from point a to point b they just so happened to stop in grantville for the night and well shit (laughs) what am i gonna do well i can write and i can make photos okay okay we can get a photography industry growing cool 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 um i think okay so i like i like the books i like the series but i do think it's a little bit overly idealistic and like the book series was started like back in the aughts oh yeah yeah i remember that time yeah when everything was kind of okay uh, at least if you were you know ignorant children like we were yeah yeah and if you had enough privilege that you didn't have to worry about stuff mm-hmm. no and they did love to idealize a small town like yeah like even the people who like do know that you know small town life is pretty rough like one of the things about Grantville is that there seems to be no pill popping going on even though we know full well that Purdue was really pushing uh Oxycontin at the time yeah yeah and I at a glance I mean this is just a list of names I have no idea whether any of these characters are white or not but I'm gonna assume a majority of them are and if I were to guess if there are any characters explicitly who aren't white, they're definitely going to be, you know, quote-unquote, one of the good ones. I don't remember if he ever uses that term. It It's just... I Again, too, like, there's so many characters that it's almost like barely anyone gets a lot of screen time overall. Yeah. I do think it's... I, I I understand him going for more idealistic thing in the sense of, like, just for Grantville, because there's so much else going on. Yeah. Like, you're already dealing with this town trying to become its own little nation-state and <laughs> avert fascism 400 years early. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have time to deal with, like, Stephen Kingian backstabbing horrible assholes inside the town as well. Yeah. Like, I think those guys are going to be very, probably season, I'm thinking about making this into a TV show, so season one, yeah. arc villains, like, just internally would probably be, I know that the, we're going to have to do a villain, an adaptation villainy for, I would say the sheriff is probably the easiest one to do. Okay. In him being, like, 
maybe trying to grab some power or like being I don't like the idea of us taking on these uh downtimer refugees because that's what they call the people of the past and I'm like how about we just don't have the whole downtime or uptimer thing well we can have a but we can like it's terms used by the people who end up becoming the antagonists yeah like they're using it to other them yeah so I know amongst uh Mennonite and Hutterites uh they call uh Anglophones Englishers so maybe they're the people of Granfield are just called Englishers because they speak English yeah and that's kind of the end of it and they kind of use it for yeah anybody who speaks uh english because a parent apparently a whole bunch of scots wound up being mercenaries for the swedes huh yeah okay one of the main characters alexander mckay is from scotland with his merry ben of scottish mercenaries <laughs> <laughs> okay so so my thinking is season one Keep the focus mostly on the town, yeah, and just any mercenaries or armies that end up bearing down on them. And like, yeah, oh, it's an outpost of enemy we were so paid to fight, yeah. So we'll get them, and but that's everyone's point of view, and so it's mostly just like dealing with all of these in town situations coming up because of the situation getting exacerbated by yeah. it. Also, the cavalry is literally coming to get you. Yeah, in this case, it's the Croatians. They were kind of okay. Yeah, the Croatians and the Poles were kind of like the biggest like European cavalry badasses at the time. Uh, I think the Croats were more light cavalry. The Poles were still like this is the era of the winged hussars. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the other sabaton song. <laughs> yeah, that's it's when they arrive. Yeah. <laughs> that is a later season thing, but we have to have a grand charge of winged hussars. Yeah. And just ev everybody going, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so then, like, the, the second half, can we can start bringing in some of the characters that are, they're downtimers that take up residence in Grandville. Like, yeah. I'm looking at the TV Tropes characters page. The Abernell family. Yeah. Uh, they are, uh, they're a Dutch-Jewish family. They're, yeah. It says yeah. Balthazar Abernell is safe from mercenaries and a heart attack by Granville's modern technology. As soon as yeah. he realizes the uptimer Christians do not persecute Jews and make it a point of pride to ensure religious freedom, he writes to all members of the Abernell family to come to Granville for safety and opportunity. I think we do have to make this a little less idealized. Yeah. It's definitely going to be, you know, better compared to everyone else. Yeah. But... The sheriff, and he's probably got, they wouldn't be Proud Boys because it's 2000, but they're Proud Boys. Yeah. Basically. And they're going to be like, oh, it was bad enough that we're taking in, like, we're we're fixing up the enemy soldiers that are trying to kill us. But now we're taking in Jews? I'm like, yes, they're people. Yeah. Also, he's got the coffee hookup. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a cousin in the Ottoman Empire, and one of the things they realize right away is, oh, fuck, we're going to run out of coffee so fast. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, coffee is a drug. <laughs> but yeah, so I think the end the end of the first season would basically be a standoff between the sheriffs and the people aligned with the sheriff and the town that want to basically align with like they pulled out the history books, they're looking at my like, okay, I guess Sweden's our best bet to not die. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, it's totally gonna be like, should we bend the knee to Gustav and say Dolphus or not? Yeah. And so then this first season would end with 
the sheriff's faction getting run out of town and them like officially getting uh, a, uh, I keep, I want to, my mouth wants to say debutante, but that's not the right word at all. Dignitary. <laughs> dignitary, yes. They receive a dignitary from the Swede, from Sweden and they start. Oh, they get Axel Oxen. There we go. And they start figuring out what they're going to do. Yeah. And then season two is much le- season two is less of a Stephen King and more of a Game of Thrones. Yes, because that's also where we get we have to bring in Cardinal Richelieu. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they send him a Siamese kitten. So imagine in his red robes him stroking this pretty little white cat like fucking Blofeld. <laughs> so wait so like Grandville sends him one as a peace offering well you gotta send like all these diplomatic gifts to establish relationships and all that because if Grantville is gonna be the you know a little German city state it's gotta establish that sort of stuff and their plan is kind of to make a confederacy instead of like a straight up because there's a big negotiation scene near the end of the first book with Gustavus Adolphus where they try to figure out how exactly are we going to be integrated into your empire? Because, like, we don't really do the whole monarch thing being Americans. Also, like, you're the official head of Sweden's church, and we got the whole freedom of religion thing. So they come up with a kind of meaningless title of <laughs> Captain General. I would say, how about Governor General of, of Grantville? Mostly ceremonial, we're pretty autonomous, but we do, I don't know, pay taxes or some sort of thing to Stockholm. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. And then, the, unless she shows up in the previous season, but I feel like this season especially, this is where we can introduce the character of Gretchen. Yes, Gretchen is badass. She sounds dope. Yes. <laughs> Gretchen was a camp follower who uh, gets rescued by by the Grandfillers when they first get attacked by the mercenaries and uh, kills her abuser and then brings in her family and marries a, a lovely young dopey boy <laughs> and just kicks ass left and right and is basically just running this place. <laughs> yeah, her, her eventual uh, fiancé, <laughs> Jeff Higgins... One of Grantville's four nerds, count them, one, two, three, four. It's a small town, there's exactly four. There's enough for a D&D group. <laughs> they would have been playing third edition. Oh god, yes! You know they would have gone started on, like, the first edition or advanced. Yeah. <laughs> He multiclasses into wife guy. <laughs> yes. He's like, look at my awesome wife! <laughs> uh. Yes. So, he's just tagging along while Gretchen is like, alright! Let's unionize the prostitutes of Germany. Yes! <laughs> oh... When she figures out English, she is so reading Marx and is going to be a menace and I love her. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so here's one, th- two, 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 one and a half things yes. that I feel would need to be addressed. One is 
whether they're going to keep on calling themselves America. Like, I've, it would make sense in the first season, but I feel like yeah, at some point they have to say, no, we're like, we're the state of Grantville. Yeah, I think... I think when they finally kind of figure out what they're going to do with themselves and the other states that they're adjacent to, because they kind of form a bigger confederacy with the Saxon states of the Ernestine branch of the House of Witten. Oh boy, the Saxony. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's a side that kept on like, for quite a long time, kind of like splitting up the different into smaller and smaller duchies for all the different sons. And then they would kind of come back together and then they would split apart and come back together and split apart until the Napoleonic era. So yeah, they kind of are like become a bit of a bigger thing. And I think they go for the United Confederacy of Germany, which I think kind of works or maybe or something like that. So there's an unfortunate bit of thing. Again, these were written before the current situation that has been happening for the past while, where, like, the downtimers come up with a flag that vaguely looks like the stars and bars of the Confederacy, and they use gray uniforms, and it's like, West Virginia was part of the Union. Yeah. (laughs) Y'all split from Virginia proper because, okay, racist against black people, but also, like, you were, like, you guys are just gonna use this for our coal. We might as well give it to the Union because we have more in common with them. Yeah. Yeah. So, here's the thing. They're not going to do the gray uniforms. They're going to do Prussian blue uniforms because an encyclopedia somewhere is going to have the formula for Prussian blue. And it's a far more useful dye because it was one of the first light fast dyes. So it wouldn't like fade too much in the sunlight. Okay. Yeah. And it's also used for curing some heavy metal poisoning. So, okay. Yeah, it's actually quite useful. And the, and the other thing, just semantics-wise, but I feel like this is something that they would either bring up in the show. Probably, actually, no, they probably wouldn't bring it up in the show itself. But it makes yeah. sense in the lore of the setting that Union Town that ends up being led by the Union leader. Yeah. <laughs> they're not going to call themselves a confederacy. They're yeah. all, either going to call themselves the United States of Grantville or the Allied States of Grantville. And maybe they just eventually go with Germany because we're in Germany. We're in German territory. And I would actually like them to use the modern German flag, which is actually created in 1848 during the uh, 1848 revolutions. Said revolutions that basically prompted Marx and Engels to write the Communist Manifesto. Okay. Yeah. Major events. It's the revolution not featured in Les Miserables. That one was an earlier revolution. (laughs) (laughs) It's that flag is using common colors of German flags anyway, the black, red and yellow. So, yeah, there. And then also the Prussian blue, like that's that could also be for Sweden. I don't know about their personal flag other than maybe just, I don't know, keeping the flag of West Virginia. It's basically blue with the seal or maybe they come up with something different. Let's see. I could see them doing a combination. Yeah. Flag of West Virginia. Uh, it is currently a field mostly white with a blue border and it has the crest on it. Yeah. And then you said flag of Germany. I could see them doing a variant where it's the, the West Virginia crest on 
the the red and they orient it uh, vertically. Okay. Yeah. Because I think it does make sense to keep that crest on there. Mm-hmm. It says on Wikipedia, it is the only state flag to bear crossing rifles meant to illustrate the importance of the state's fight for liberty during the Civil War as the Southern Unionist 35th state. Yeah. And their motto is Montani Semper Liberi. Yeah. I like that idea for the flag. Mountaineers are always free. Yeah. <laughs> it is a mountainous area. That's that's definitely one of the episode titles. Like, that's probably the first season finale. Yes. And it just so happens that the area that they land in in Germany is uh, the Thrinkian Forest or the Thrinkian Mountains. So, perfect. They get some new wildlife and they kind of accidentally introduce um, Virginia Creeper and Kudzu to Europe. Whoops. Are there any vermin? <laughs> Do they introduce <laughs> raccoons? Raccoons and possums. Yes! <laughs> Europe's getting marsupials! <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyways, the, the other thing that kind of dovetails in with, uh, d- they can't really st- keep calling themselves America, is, uh, colonialism is definitely in full swing these days. D- yes! And I, I don't think this one little town is gonna be able to push hard enough to get rid of it completely, but I think there definitely needs to be a party of people in the town who say, we should do something about this. Yeah. Like, they're from America. There are going to be American First Nations people in the town. Maybe not a lot. But a few. Yeah. Yeah. And once Mike is in power, and, like, people know he's a good guy, someone's gonna go up to him like, Hey, I know this is long-term big thing, but, like, could we, at some point during one of our delegations, could we talk to whoever's in charge of the colonies in the States and go, What if you didn't? Yeah. Like, I think they could mess up some stuff right away in Europe with like the people in charge because the Habsburg Empire okay so you have the stuff in Germany you also have the Spanish branch which is the real fucked up branch yeah <laughs> this is the one that produced Charles II <laughs> oh Charles oh Charles oh Charles <laughs> his, his personal seal even looks like the international biohazard symbol <laughs> So maybe there's some decisions made regarding who becomes rulers and or just, you know, maybe the reason why the Spanish Empire went to decline when it did was because they were attached at the hip to everything going on in Central Europe and all that Aztec gold was going to pay for these mercenaries in Germany and Italy. So, I don't know, maybe make things a bit more financially hard for the Spaniards? And make conditions kind of right for maybe Mexico to start thinking about revolution and rebellion earlier? About 200 years earlier? Yeah, I think... I think most of the action stood to stay in Europe. I feel like a few episodes that, like, make it an issue... Make yeah. it something that drives civil characters and give it some episodes where it is the focus. But at some point we have to say, this is as much as we can do in our position right now. Yeah. And yeah. then maybe revisit it in the next season. Yeah. Once they get a little bit more political sway. Yeah. Because another big thing that they're going to have an effect on is uh, the British Isles 
because the current king is that bitch, uh, Charles I. And I want to make his older sister, Elizabeth Stewart, a more important character because she was the wife of Frederick V, the Elector Palatine, who was for a short time king of Bohemia. And by this point, I think I think Frederick had died, but maybe one of their potential plans is to put his surviving eldest son, Charles Louis, back onto the Bohemian throne to help like act as a buffer between Poland and Austria and the German states under the Swedes, but also just to stick it in the eye of the fucking Hasbers, like, fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> Keep them from brutally de-Protestant, de like, re-Catholicizing that area. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was bad. It was real bad. Um, also, potentially acting as a buffer with the Ottomans, because I want the Ottomans to be a bigger part of this, too. Okay. Yeah. I'll say I think I think at some point they need to like send a delegation like to the colonies themselves. Yeah. With a bunch of American history books, and it's like this, this is why it's bad. Please don't hang us Puritans. <laughs> yeah. And also like here's here's the word this is the Alamo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So maybe just let Mexico do their thing. Maybe let them keep Texas. Yeah. That's huh? probably huh? yeah. Yeah. Um, also, with England, uh, one of the things that does happen is um, Granville sends a delegation to London and they get promptly thrown into the tower and, because Charles is uh, rather paranoid about a whole bunch of stuff. This is, this is during the buildup to the English Civil War and why England wasn't really directly involved with a lot of continental stuff at the time. And he also gets his hands on a history book, finds out about this Oliver Cromwell dude who's one of his MPs, and he also finds out how he dies. Charles I was beheaded by Oliver Cromwell. So Charles makes the decision of, I am going to preemptively get rid of this Oliver Cromwell bloke, and it winds, he winds up killing Cromwell's wife and one of his sons in the process. So now you've really incentivized my cousin by marriage to fuck you up, Charles. <laughs> you made it personal. Like, like nobody wanted to execute Charles. He just made it so that the only option was to get rid of you. Like, oh my god, you fucking idiot. Which is another reason why I want, I want to make Elizabeth Stewart a more important character because she kind of <laughs> was like what the fuck is wrong with you charles why did you marry a french princess this is not gonna work out elizabeth learns about girl power oh she's been learning about girl power since she was a wee little thing you know what fair enough yeah but now she gets to learn about spice girls <laughs> <laughs> yes because spice girls is a thing so i think about eric flynn and why i've been going on about music for a bit is um apparently he doesn't like a lot of modern music he likes country music, he likes classical, he likes jazz, which is, like, cool and all, but, you know, in the books, he kind of got heavy-handed about, oh, the modern rock and hip-hop, and it's like, okay, I get it. And, yes, this was the era where we got Limp Bizkit. I, I understand. <laughs> this entire series is in response to Limp Bizkit. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, 
we also had Smashing Pumpkins, and Metallica wasn't too bad, and like, Eminem was releasing LPs at the time, okay? You know, I think jazz would catch on pretty easily, but yes. also grunge. Yeah. At least the, the Smashing Pumpkins type of grunge? Yeah, like the post-grunge stuff. Um, yeah. I also think rap might actually do well, because apparently at this time, uh, the way Irish music was kind of working, it it had a lot of rhythm and flow that's very similar to rap, so I could only imagine some Irish monks being like, oh, <laughs> this Wu-Tang Clan! They're right now cash rolls everything around us. <laughs> okay. I want Father O'Flaherty to just be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My brothers, we are truly living in a gangster's paradise. <laughs> because, like, when the Grant Villers go out to fight, they have to be, like, at a generation. Like, the young guys are the same generation from the people who went to fight in Iraq. And, like, I've seen Generation Kill. They're totally... Oh, when did bodies... You know... Let the bodies hit the floor. 2001. Okay. Like, this is new metal era, so they're going to be singing some shitty-ass songs along the way. You know what? I know the reasons why Eric Flint set the first book in 2000, but I kind of want to push it up to 2004 because that's when the good, you know, shitty 2000s music <laughs> was available. <laughs> like, Avril Lavigne, come on! <laughs> you know what? I was already looking at music in 2004, by the way, the number one movie in uh, the number one movie in two thousand four was Shrek. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm just saying, when Jeff and Gretchen get married at at the party afterwards, they have to have Smash Mouth playing. They have to have Rockstar there. <laughs> All Star Rockstars Nickelback and we all just want to be big rock stars. <laughs> just lose it <laughs> by Eminem. <laughs> Unwritten by Natasha Benningfield! Yes! That's the theme song! <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and there's also a scene where, like, they're attacking this one castle, and they start off with doing some psychological warfare by blasting modern music at them. <laughs> Toxic. Yes! The Spaniards are like, what is this? <laughs> what is this lady writhing about? <laughs> also, I, uh, going back to the whole, you know, making this thing a lot less white, because there were uh, persons of color in Europe at the time. Also, uh, the Ottoman Empire, like, their borders stretched up into what's now, like, modern day Hungary. The Ottomans are going to be like a they're not a big bad. They they take notice of Grant. The Sauron Eye of the Ottoman Empire takes notice, and it's like <laughs> we're watching you. Yeah, we're watching you. <laughs> like so, like the town isn't going to be as white as one would assume. It's still going to be. It's a small yes. town. It's going to be pretty white, but it's not going to be a hundred percent. It's going to be like seventy five percent. Yes, maximum. Um, but also, like I think, like make a point that the past was more diverse than you think. Yes. Again, it's Europe. Yeah, like, there were Black and Middle Eastern people all over the place there. Yeah, uh, and, like, the only, 
the the big judgment is because like they're just going to assume oh you must be from this place in the Ottoman Empire or this place in Africa and as Grantville's like clout grows they're probably going to assume oh yes a person like you you must be from Grantville yeah but I was also thinking about LGBTQ representation yes so the thing about this time period is that um, people's conception of what it meant to be an LGBTQ person was very different from what our conception is. Uh, there's just more behavior based. And also they just didn't have the language that we have now. And Wait, what sorry, language... I, are you talking about 1632 or 2004? Because <laughs> it can apply to both. That's true. Okay, so the big difference is like the past didn't have the language that we have now. Uh, 2004 also did certain terms were not as mainstream as they are now but LGBTQ people have always existed and this is where I want to talk about Christina so yes she is a six year old child at the time I am very tempted to use they them pronouns for her because she was kind of raised as a boy and she had a very masculine look she insisted on being referred to as the king of Sweden when she did become king uh, she was referred to as the Girl King. Hmm. And funny thing about the story of her birth, um, she was apparently born in the cull. So for those who don't know, um, that's when a baby is born with the placenta, uh, like, somehow still attached to them. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It means you're a vampire so, hunter. Yeah. Uh, it was also, basically, uh, back then there was superstitions about uh, it being a very good it was a good sign, actually. Yeah. A sign of intelligence. And Christina learned to speak fluently 13 languages. Okay? Oh, this damn, girl bro. was a... Yeah. She would be considered gifted by by today's standards. Um, but apparently the way that she was born, it seems like the placenta might have been wrapped around her. So there was a bit of a delay in the announcement of what her gender was. Um gender as understood back then so her dad started partying as if she were a son and then the one of the uh, nurses or doctors comes in and is like actually she's a girl and he's like doesn't matter she's gonna be smart she fooled us all yay <laughs> also helps that like there was a series of uh, stillbirth and miscarry children before her so <laughs> he was just happy to have one born healthy but yeah, um, apparently Gustavus Adolphus was very happy with Christina and raised her as a boy. And I'm thinking that Christina is a trans mass non-binary lesbian. I love that. Yeah, and Gustavus is a, is a surprisingly supportive father. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's funny, funny thing about queer relationships back then is like, didn't have the terminology, but it was kind of accepted that like, don't talk about it, but yeah, there are men who shack up with men and women who shack up with women. Yeah. Um, and also, it's not really an issue unless it's causing a diplomatic incident. Yes. And, like, he's probably going, like, well, at least she's not going to have a child out of wedlock any anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, Same-sex attraction kind of makes that difficult. <laughs> also, glancing through the characters, Julia McKay is a cheerleader who is a contender for the Olympic biathlon team. Yeah. Her skill with a rifle accompanied by proper sniper training makes her one of the most feared individuals amongst the generals opposing the Grantville. Yep. <laughs> uh, she's going to be a lesbian, too. Yep. And then right below her on TV Tropes, uh, Melissa Maley, a local school teacher and self-described bleeding-heart liberal, 
Uh, it says that. Oh, she is big time lesbian. I was no, actually, I was gonna say she's uh, she's trans, and she okay. and her African American doctor husband, not husband, they're living in sin. Uh, they're a T for T couple. Yes, I, I I am totally down for that. Also, uh, there's um a a nun, uh, a retired nun, who lives among the community, who I think should be a queer person. Yeah, I forget her name, but yeah. Also, in the future, if if the series goes on further, um. Louis the Thirteenth uh, had two sons. Okay. His famous son Louis the Fourteenth, and Philippe, Duke d'Orléans. Oh, my favorite angry gay duke. <laughs> <laughs> he was so gay. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, he came out to court with the Chevalier de Lorraine in a dress in the style of a shepherdess. <laughs> he still had to marry uh he was married twice first to his uh first cousin uh henrietta anne of england um but his second wife was elizabeth charlotte of the palatine who was both of their cousins through uh elizabeth stewart um so elizabeth charlotte is like this tomboy german girl she loves beer she loves sausages. She has no time for the frivolity of Versailles. Uh, she kind of scared her brother-in-law. <laughs> they still manage to have kids. Um, I just love the contrast of this too. Also, like, Philippe, he was actually kind of like a military badass. But he o- was only allowed to lead, like, one battle before his brother's like, You are never leaving Versailles. I'm never letting you on the battlefield. You cannot show me up. But that's in the future. At this point, it's more like, um, hey, so uh, the Romanov dynasty just got into power and we're still dealing with the after effects of the time of troubles. You know, that one time where we had two guys who claimed to be uh, Zarvich Dimitri, (laughs) the first guy we murdered, uh, cremated and then blew his ashes out of a out of a cannon in the direction of Poland. He was smacked by Poland, and the, and the Russians were pretty butthurt about that one. <laughs> they had to canonize Zarevich Dmitri so that nobody could claim to be him. <laughs> you could argue that he was already canonized. <laughs> yes. But I'm. Okay, I have one last yeah. thing I want to say. Okay. Going back to my issue with America. <laughs> yes. This is this would probably be like. A TV movie or a spin-off miniseries or something. Yeah. But the Iroquois or yeah. Haudenosaunee, Haudenosaunee were yeah. based around Virginia, West Virginia area. Yeah, up to the Great Lakes. And around the time that this is going on, they were in a very much expansionist situation. Yeah, they were actually quite a power. Um, there was another alt history timeline where they become kind of like an quote-unquote unexpected superpower Basically because of early adoption of muskets. Okay. Yeah. So my, my thinking is that the Grantville uh, diplomats, they get to the colonies, and they meet with leaders of the Confederacy, the Iroquois Confederacy, the only yeah. Confederacy worth it, <laughs> I would argue. And that, like, they, they show the, the like, these future diaries showing how they are wiped out, and that the fact that they are expanding and they are wiping out other nations is... Yeah. Contributing to like helping the colonizers get in. I mean, it's yeah. not the only thing helping. It's the yeah. wanton disregard for human life that is the main thing that got them where they are. Yes. 
But the fact that they are basically eliminating potential allies instead of aligning with them yeah. is just helping the English just continue to chip further and further inland. Yeah. So their pitch would be, how about form some diplomatic connections with these nations instead, which is, we know it's going to be a big ask because you were about to completely conquer their territory. Yeah. But consider how much territory you get to keep, and you get to chase the Europeans out. Or at the very least, if you can't chase the Europeans out, at least you get control of the territory back from them. Yes. They are renting from you. And then that also ties into preempting some stuff going on in England. So maybe the colonies on the Atlantic coast get isolated early. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And like the reason, the reason I say that should be like a, a smaller off to the side thing is because for one, it's kind of like, it would take place over a shorter time span, and then you can just kind of assume the stuff that would spiral out of it. But also, we should not be the ones running it. Yeah. Much like how I pitched it to you, I pitched it to people who are of American First Nations descent, and like, hey, would you like to take this plot and run with it? You don't even have to worry about continuity that much because you're a whole ocean away from the parent show. Yes. Also, one more technical thing that I want to address is uh, one of the things that they unfortunately go looking for when a bunch of the uptimers do wind up in the Caribbean is oil and I'm like there is a source closer to home in Europe it's called the Ploesti oil fields in Romania and maybe that's where they get into conflict with the Ottomans because this is also one of those so Ploesti would be in what is in Wallachia which is the northern part of Romania which is quasi-independent but under the Aegis of uh, the Ottomans. So maybe they're like, hey, what are you guys doing around here? <laughs> Having to work out some situation with the Ottomans about the whole oil thing. And then they're like, oh yeah, we just got finished kicking the asses of the, of the Persians and we kind of now control the Caucasus too. And we know that Baku has a lot of that weird oil shit going on too. Hmm. Because, okay, so, historians say that this is the point where the Ottoman Empire starts declining. I would say push it back a little bit to more like the 1700s, because Western historians tend to pay attention to what's going on in Europe when it's like, no, the Ottomans were actually doing pretty well again over in the East. So, maybe, you know, let's redefine what we say by decline. Maybe they were plateauing at the time. But... Maybe in this situation, instead of becoming the sick man of Europe, the Ottomans remain a, a major power into the 20th century. Okay, yeah. All right. Hey, we managed to make a full episode. Yay! So in that case, uh, I am going to create some art. And in doing so, I will force a friendship promo to be hurled back in time into this very podcast. Hi, I'm Kendrick. I'm Gus. I'm Hilda. And I'm Marcy. And we're the cast of Tales Yet Told. An actual play podcast dedicated to telling weird and fun stories full of imagination, thoughtful characterization, and inclusivity. You should go listen to our first season, Strangers in the Wood. Where we play Babes in the Wood, an over-the-garden-wall-inspired tabletop RPG by Adam Voss. It's fun. 
Spooky. And full of weird characters like Dex the diner owner and Miss Jackson the parrot desk attendant. And with lovable player characters like Dakota, Dorothy, and Walter the Weasel. Follow us on Twitter at Tales Yet Told for more details and look out for new episodes every Wednesday. So go out, eat well, sleep enough, and love yourself like we love you. All right, Lindsay, where can the Alien Space Bats find you on Twitter? They can find me on Twitter at lindsaym476. It's Lindsay spelled with an A. And you can get to all my other social media bullshits from there. Tanner, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at SparkyUpstart and on Instagram at SparkyYoungUpstart. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at N-I-I-R-Y-F-Pod. Those are the letters for not if I reboot you first and they're pronounced Country Roads, take me home to the place. I belong Central Germany <laughs> Mountain, Mountain Mama, Mama. <laughs> Take me home Country roads Okay, that's the other thing <laughs> <laughs> Somebody at the local honky-tonk has to <laughs> rewrite the lyrics Yep <laughs> You can also email us uh, not if I reboot you first at gmail.com where you can send us your comments, critiques, criticisms, and your alternate history ideas. That's also where you can send us a friendship promo, be it an audio clip, or a proof for us to read. Either way, we'll put in a free ad for your podcast, your YouTube, or even your studio album Hot Fuss. Not if I reboot you first is a member of the Corner Podcast Network, and you can talk more about this show or others on the network via our Corner Podcast Discord. Our cover art, as always, is by Alex, and her work can be found on ptchew.com. And our theme music is done by our friend Sean Clake, whose contact info is available upon request. This podcast is recorded on Treaty 4 territory, the traditional lands of the Cree, Sotol, and Assiniboine, and homeland of the Métis. So, Lindsay. So, Tanner. My Immortal came out in 2004. Oh, no. That has nothing to do with what I'm doing next week. I just want to let you know. Oh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that kernel of panic. <laughs> also, the song, not the, actually, no, the fanfare probably came out shortly after the song. Anyways, no. Next week, I am talking about three very different little girls. They grew up to become three very different women, and now they work for me. Oh, okay. And so we're going to talk about that next week, but not if we reboot you first. <laughs>